The Insulone Podcast is brought to you by Cybionics, an emerging CGM brand that focuses on simplifying how individuals aged 18 and above monitor and control their blood sugar levels. Upon becoming available on the market, the Cybionics GS1 CGM has helped users worldwide navigate the complexities of diabetes management with more confidence and peace of mind. Thanks to Cybionics, now more people are able to view and share their real-time glucose data, receive customizable glucose alarms, and generate full AGP reports, all directly from an intuitive Cybionics app, empowering them with the necessary information to make better decisions about their health. Cybionics combines data accuracy and comfort of wear, which is important to us all, with a feature-rich app. The 14-day scanning-free and calibration-free Cybionics GS1 CGM aims to deliver reliable, seamless diabetes management experiences. For more, check out CybionicsCGM.com. This is the Insulone Podcast, where I, own Costello, try to redefine diabetes. In this week's episode, sometimes my blood sugar would be dropping to like the 22s, which, oh you know, my God. minus. Let me just calculate what that is quickly. Yeah, I can't believe this. That's 1.2. And somehow I would be functioning. But before we get into that, everything you hear on the Insulin Podcast is from my own personal experience. And if you have any worries or issues regarding your diabetes, please contact a medical professional. Now let's get stuck into this episode. Hey everybody, Owen here. Thank you for joining me for a, another episode of the Insulone Podcast, Redefining Diabetes. My oh my, do I have an episode for you today. <laughs> the guest that I have on has one of, actually the most insane diabetic story that I've ever heard. And throughout the whole episode, <laughs> I am just in awe of the story that is telling me it's, it's so unbelievable it's remarkable it's unfortunate it's inspiring it's amazing right and throughout the whole episode i'm listening to it and the guest is talking and talking and talking and i'm so invested in what they're talking about and the story that they're telling that I kind of forget, I forget that I still have to continue with the podcast. So there are moments where I'm genuinely quite speechless with, with, the, with the story that he's telling, but I will let him go into the detail of everything, outline his whole story up to this point. It's just insanity. Anyway, the guest I have is called Brandon Mao. He is a type 1 diabetic from California. He was originally diagnosed with type 1 diabetes at the age of 3. So he's been living with it for over 31 years. He's definitely had a difficult time, to say the very least. He admittedly, and quite proudly, was always a very healthy diabetic, always prioritized his blood sugar always prioritized his management with the condition as as he was growing up. And basically, he started feeling pain out of nowhere. And this led to a number of different issues. Essentially, 
he had two very large kidney stones. One thing after the other, after the other, after the other. Nine surgeries, one less kidney led to him becoming a brittle diabetic, which essentially is generally characterized by wide variations or swings in blood sugars from highs to lows. But in this case, Brandon was experiencing severe lows quite consistently. And I say quite consistently, I mean all of the time. <laughs> but I'll let him tell you that in more detail. His only hope was to get a pancreas transplant. He had less than two years to live. He was told by numerous doctors, Brandon, you are going to die. There's nothing we can do. But he didn't accept that and eventually met a doctor, said, you are insane to think that this can be done, but it can be done and <laughs> let's do it. So he basically, his next step was to get a pancreas transplant. He had to raise $250,000 in three months because he had to pay for this out of pocket. I don't want to tell the full story because he tells it a lot better than I do, but it, it's, it's just unbelievable. I'm, I'm going to get to the episode right now. But massive thank you to Brandon again. You're really going to enjoy this episode. Since then, he has committed himself to raising awareness for chronic illnesses and spreading the word through podcasts and events and speeches. So Brandon himself is a perfect example of somebody that just proves, regardless of the situation you are in, both physically and mentally, you always have a decision to make. And that decision is, how do I react to this? How do I respond to this? Do I give up hope or do I not? This is unreal. You're really, you're really going to enjoy this. The perfect specimen of what diabetes should be. <laughs> and then something that was completely non-diabetic related turned me into turned me into what it was, which is why I needed the transplant. And so it's a it's an interesting concept to really grasp and understand. So I'm we can talk about whatever the heck you want. Um, I, I you know I'll provide clarification and and all that kind of stuff, but whatever you want or what, whatever you think is a good topic or whatever i'm i'm good to go yeah well i think i definitely wanted to to be honest i kind of wanted to focus on that because i feel a lot of the diabetics that i've spoken to i've obviously spoken to a lot of diabetics now at this stage uh, throughout my years and we all seem to have a similar enough story in terms of diagnosis we all experience similar signs and symptoms we all have that shock that horror around our diagnosis initially and then that kind of adjusting period but you yourself just said that you were kind of like a perfect specimen of a type 1 diabetic and then it just almost fell apart out of nowhere so let's just jump back to when you were diagnosed you were age three correct Yep. A age three. Um, didn't even, didn't, I didn't, I can't even, I can't even tell you life before, <laughs> um, diabetes. So I, I, I didn't even know. So I was young enough where I couldn't tell you the difference, what life was before or after I was diagnosed. 
you were obviously living a perfect life. Well, a seemingly perfect life with diabetes. You had managed things well. You had obviously got a, a grasp of everything because you were just used to it. There was no life before diabetes. Exactly. It was just my normal. And when, and I, and like, I never had like a rebellious phase or like an anger phase of like, why did this happen to me? Because if my blood sugar wasn't doing well, I felt like crap and I wasn't able to accomplish the things that I wanted. So it was my goal to keep that blood sugar the best I can to stay healthy, to eat right, to test my, my blood sugars and, and feel good so I could accomplish the things that I wanted. And that was just how I was. And that was my childhood and young adulthood and just, and, and basically my life. It's interesting that you say you look after your blood sugar as much as you did, because if you didn't, you wouldn't be able to accomplish the things that you wanted to accomplish. And that's something that I always try and preach as much as possible. It's like, you need to look after your diabetes first, because if that isn't looked after, if that isn't properly controlled, if you have fluctuating blood sugars, that has a knock-on effect into what you want to do in your regular life, let's call it. So even from a young age, what sort of things were you doing to ensure that diabetes was not going to be something that would get in your way? Even from a young age, I think we have to put into perspective, there weren't insulin pumps. <laughs> there, we didn't have fast, I didn't have fast-acting insulin. I had to test my blood with like the, these... Um, land sets that would make my fingers bleed for days and I would wear band-aids. <laughs> like, you know, it was crazy. It was just, it was a different life back then. And uh, it was such a routine that I knew, okay, I took my, it was like the insulins could last eight hours. So I took my eight hour insulin. Then I took the insulin that was, that was for food and you kind of just left it alone. And then throughout the day, you had to eat accordingly to plan. And if you overate, your blood sugar would be high. And if you didn't get enough um, nutrition, your blood sugar would be low. Or if you, like I would play sports. If I played sports, um, <laughs> every time there was a break, I had oranges I was, I, I was eating. And, and I didn't know any other diabetics. And this was just something that me and my parents had learned how to manage because I grew up in a small farming town. And so it was just one of those things that I learned that if I wasn't feeling well, it was something that it was diabetes related and I didn't like it. So it was kind of just figuring out what worked for me and my body. And as it changed, um, as I got older, you know, things change, you start hanging out with friends, different types of foods, and you just learn what you can eat and what you shouldn't eat because, you know, if you um, – like there's nothing wrong with eating cake. But if you eat cake, you're going to have some problems uh, <laughs> for quite a few hours. And, it, and you kind of debate that in your head. Is it worth it for me to do that and to not feel well? And what do I have going on tomorrow? Because can I handle the low or can I handle recovering from the high and all that kind of stuff? So, so like that was like instilled in me at such a young age. It's interesting that you you make the comment about the cake because it's something that I think about all the time and you hear you hear it echo throughout the diabetic community of of course diabetes isn't something that should stop you from 
eating the foods that you wanted to eat, doing the things that you want to do. But you just need to make smart decisions because more often than not, if you are eating a lot of cake or donuts or pizza, you're going to have a bad time with your blood sugars. And that in turn is going to have a knock-on effect. As you say yourself, you're not going to feel the best the next day. It's almost like a diabetic hangover. Exactly. That's a great, that's a great way to put it. And, um, the, and, then the, and then the question is like, is it worth it? Well, yeah, sometimes it absolutely is worth it. You know, you're celebrating, you're having fun, you, you, you can handle that. But when you're doing it every day, you're, it takes such a toll on your body mentally and physically that you start losing that sight of what it feels like to feel good. <laughs> and when that starts getting taken away from you, then then you're you start going down a, a path of, of of hurt and trouble, and it, and it's hard to come back from that. Yeah, it's it's something again that's mentioned so frequently with any diabetic reader that I speak to about how it's not just the physical side of things; it's the psychological and the mental side because this is, as we both know, Brandon, a condition that you don't get a break from. There are no holidays there are no vacations there are no you just don't get to relax so i suppose being on top of it physically and mentally is in your best interest to always always look after it in terms of the tech that you were using when you were kind of growing up with it and getting used to everything i know that you have a diabetic alert dog when was your diabetic alert dog introduced into your into your life Okay, so that was when I started having the hypoglycemic unawareness. And let me think of the year here. Um, I got him in, I think, 2016 um, or the end of 2015. And that, uh, in terms of technology, or in terms of uh, managing blood sugars and that kind of stuff, the diabetic alert dog, mine specifically, has been the most accurate, the most helpful in every single way. It, I and it's almost to a point where I I had to rely on him so much, and we we became so close when I was going through such a hard time that I truly believe that every diabetic should have a, dia- a fully trained service diabetic alert dog because not only do they help you with your blood sugars that that the monitors the meters the cgms testing your blood can't do it um i mean can't tell you what's going on because everything is a little bit delayed the dogs are lifetime and they they will they will literally save your life without you having to go through such a low or having to go through such a high they they catch it immediately it is it is amazing i can't i cannot say enough good things about them but uh more awareness and and more availability of them is needed in the diabetic community it's great to hear how how positive you are about it and you're you're obviously so um close to your dog as you say the first time i saw one I, to be honest i was never even aware of the fact that they existed now I knew that there were there were medical dogs that would help with certain conditions, but I never realized the accuracy of a diabetic alert dog. And it was actually last year when I was in California, actually, and I met a diabetic there who had a diabetic alert dog. So it was the first time I had seen one, and I just couldn't believe it because obviously 
the diabetic and the dog were, were best friends, but I was out for a few drinks and almost inevitably the diabetic's blood sugar started to rise. And within an instant, the dog knew about it and was giving him a scratch or giving him, giving him a head nudge to tell him that his blood sugar was, was on the rise. Yeah, it, it, it's simply amazing how they, their, the scent that, that they're able to catch up on and how your body changes, how it is live time and immediate. And it, it's life-saving. You, you know, for a lot of people who, who don't have access or can't react fast enough to, those, to, the, to the highs coming on real quick or the lows coming on real quick, that dog is letting you know 15, 20 minutes before your meters or your CGMs are going to be telling you. And that little amount of time can make it or break it in terms of what your blood sugar is going to do in the long run. Had you been with your dog for its entire life or was it trained and then given to you essentially? So I bought him trained. I, I didn't know tons about them either. It was one of, it was one of those last stitch efforts when, I, when nothing was working for me. I, I was just passing out. I would go from a completely normal blood sugar to something so low within, within a second that I would be talking to you like this and then I would start talking, talking gobbledygook and then just go silent because mm-hmm. I, it, my, my body wasn't functioning correctly. And so after doing research, it was kind of brought up again and, um, or I found more about them and I was like, is this even possible? Like, are they real? Like, can they re- are they really real? And that's kind of how I found out about them and then doing more research, contacting people uh, and doing all of, all of the necessary things to try to get one was a very daunting task because there's a very high demand. They're very expensive um, to get one fully trained. Um, is, like, there's a long list for it. And then the expectation of like, they, they want to sell you puppies, right? That you can train yourself. But when you're, when you don't have the, the moment or the time to train them, when you need them working, your only option is to buy a fully uh, trained one already. And that is the route that I had to go. Well, it seemed to have worked out well for you considering the fact that through everything you have been through, and we'll get into that, but you are still here. You are still talking to me, and uh, your dog has obviously done a great job with you, <laughs> thankfully. So it seemed as if everything was going as planned, in a way. You were living a quote unquote normal life with diabetes, you had it well managed, everything was under control, life was going on as it should do, and then you started getting these blood sugars, these low blood sugars. Was it just out of nowhere? So like that was the question I had to ask myself because growing up for my whole life with, as with diabetes, you have highs and you have lows. It, it just happens. Um, but when they start happening four, five times a week, <laughs> when they start getting every day, then you start looking at it and thinking like, well, what, what is causing this? What is going on? And the low blood sugars, the hypoglycemia episodes really started after I had a kidney stone. And it was just a pain I had in my side. 
and it was I just thought, ah, no big deal. As diabetics, you, you know, we have a high pain tolerance. No big deal. <laughs> an average day. An average day. Yeah, average day. And, but <laughs> this sucker did not go away. It only got worse. And so when it felt like an elephant was stepping on my um, my side, I it was in the middle of the night. It felt like I was having a low blood sugar. I was sweating. I was pale. I like. It, everything hurt. I couldn't do anything. And I was like, something, what is wrong with me? And I drove to the hospital and it was the first time I had been to a hospital since I was diagnosed from the age of three. I didn't even know what wow. I was doing. I was <laughs> like, I'm in so much pain. I don't know what's going on. And it, they did an x-ray. They did it. They did a CT scan. And it turned out that I had two kidney stones in my left kidney, the size of your thumbnail. So like if you do like look at your thumbnail, that those were in my kidney, uh, two of them, and they were moving around causing damage, and I was septic. So they took me in for emergency surgery. They tried to break them up and remove them and all that kind of stuff. But messing around with my kidney is when the hypoglycemia really started happening, and. Uh, it, they ended up doing six more surgeries and they finally removed the kidney because it completely damaged the thing for it to be non-functional, which as a diabetic, you're like, you're not, do not take my kidney. <laughs> that, mm. that, you know, you're, you're just, that is just terrible to be able to, to have to take a kidney because of a kidney stone um, a year and a half later. But the thought was if they remove the kidney because the insulin is processed through the kidneys and it wasn't working that the that my low blood sugars my hypos would go away and they didn't so there was a year and a half where already i was dealing with more low blood sugars than normal and then they removed it and i was and i thought oh i'm good to go and it just continued and it just got worse and worse it was like a little little snowball being thrown off the top of a mountain and by the time uh, it reached the bottom. It was larger than a house. And that's kind of how the, the low blood sugars were doing. Um, like just to give you an idea, my average blood sugar, I forget what the, um, math is, but my average, my average blood sugar was 44. Um, your average blood sugar. Yeah. Just throughout your day. Yep, that was my average blood sugar. So oh I was fighting. God. Let me just calculate that into millimoles here because that's how we calculate it. So that's an average blood sugar of 2.4. That is insane. So you were going about your, well, trying to go about your day as normal with an average blood sugar of 44, of, which is 2.4 for us. 2.4, yeah. That now, is insane. Yeah. And like looking back at it, I was like, nope, I. I would just, I would constantly just be drinking juice and anything I could because I was on the lowest amount of insulin. I did every single thing that they were telling me to do. Um, I would have to, sometimes my blood sugar would be dropping to like the 22s, which, oh you know, minus I mean, that. Let me just calculate what that is quickly. Yeah. I can't believe this. That's 1.2. And somehow I would be functioning. And then I would give myself an injection of glucagon because it, my blood sugar wouldn't come up. And then 30 minutes later, it was still that low. So I would give myself more glucagon. And I, and that was my life. 
that so my life went from completely normal to the kidney issue to living my life like this where it's just a state of keeping my body with enough sugar with enough carbohydrates to live it was a, it was a matter of just absolutely living and no one could explain to me what was going on like was it because the insulin would go through my my kidney that that I needed and it would process it immediately was it that I had insulin antibodies was it that I had gastroparesis? Was it that my body just wasn't breaking down food correctly because my blood sugar was too low and it wasn't functioning? Like, like we tried to figure every single thing out and there wasn't an answer. We tried it all, nothing worked. You were quite literally living on the verge of death every day, every day of the week. Every single day day um technically i have died twice (laughs) um i've been i've been found without a breath or a heartbeat for more than eight minutes twice and both times when i was when i came back um with the emergency personnel bring you know shocking my heart and, and injecting all the the sugars into me to get my blood sugar up, the glucagon, the glucogen, all that kind of stuff. They just said, we don't understand how you're alive. <laughs> like, you're not supposed to be alive. And I'm like, I know. Like, this, this doesn't make sense to me. <laughs> oh, my God. I don't mean to laugh, but this is just insane. I, I, this was my reality. And here I am, you know, and here I was, like, trying to live it, just thinking, like, what is, like, what is going on? This is crazy. And then at the same time, um, when all this was going on, I had just graduated law school and I was working and I had my diabetic alert dog and I would have to travel an hour back and forth to um, the city for work. And that took its toll on me. And eventually I had to stop doing that as well because it wasn't safe for me to work. It wasn't safe for me to drive. And I needed to know what was going on because that next low blood sugar could be my last. So just to give me a bit of a time frame here, roughly how long were you living like this? Because hypoanxiety is a common fear for people to have living with type 1 diabetes. That that constant fear of, is my blood sugar going to drop? Is my blood sugar going to drop when I'm driving a car, while I'm at an interview, while I'm at work? And it never really does. But for you to say that your average blood sugar was 44, which in our terms over here is 2.5, that is just insanity. So how, how long was that going on for? Okay, so that went on for three and a half years. So like when you give an example of all those hypo anxiety, I, I've lived it all. I've done it all. I was giving presentations and I would pass out. I'd wake up to the emergency personnel above me. I would be working and I would, I would pass out. My brain just, I would go from completely normal eating snacks, drinking juice constantly to keep that blood sugar up. And it just, it wasn't enough. My body wasn't processing it. And uh, my biggest fear was going to bed because that's when I had absolutely no control. That's when I wasn't able to continue feeding myself something to keep my blood sugar above what it was supposed to. 
And that's when Boone would kick in and help me a lot because he would jump on the bed and alert me. And then I would just drink um, juice and, and try to go back to bed. But I probably didn't get more than two hours of sleep for that entire three, three to three and a half years that I was going through all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Abs- absolute anxiety, fear. And, and, and then you kind of question like too, like, why am I fighting so hard? For this life, like what, like what is driving me to want to live so much? And um, all those thoughts come into your head, and then you start forgetting, like what's even going on, because your brain doesn't have the energy to process logical thinking, and it's it, 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 it's just crazy. I, I'm I'm just sitting here, Brandon, and my. I'm just in shock, to be honest, because when I have a low blood sugar and when I have had a low blood sugar in the past, where I get down to about 44 or 2.5, I'm on a different planet. I always describe it as my body is there, but I'm not there. Exactly. And your average blood sugar was this level. How did you function at all to to be very honest i don't know all i knew is that there were things because there's a lot of time like you know like you're saying like you know your body is there but like you're not there there are things that your body and mind just do without you being aware (laughs) and so a lot of times when it would be like that all of us i would i would come to and i would be in a completely different place um, I, w- I would have driven somewhere or I would have gone on a walk with my dog and end up in some random park. And like, it was becoming a problem where, where I was, I was becoming just like almost a zombie trying to function in that way. Um, and a lot of times when I say like, come to, it's when like the liver finally makes enough glucogen just to like spike your blood sugar <laughs> enough for you to start thinking. give you a boost yeah. for the day yeah just to get just it just it gives it that and um that is that was my life and no one could figure out what was what the cause was and it started with the kidney so that's what i blame it on and that 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 was my life it was it was absolutely crazy i don't know how i was able to do really anything um and I didn't want to become a victim of it. You know, I didn't want to say I'm giving up. I'm just going to go to bed tonight and I'm not going to, I'm not going to wake up and, and drink juice. Um, my C, you know, my CGMs would constantly alarm me and I'm like, Boone already, Boone already told me I drank juice. Shut up. <laughs> you know what I mean? I'm just like, leave it alone. Um, yeah. And I'm not, and I, and, and I was taking, I think it was three, I was I was taking three units of Lantus, and then we broke it down to twice a day. So I was taking 1.5 in the morning and 1.5 at night just to keep – because I don't have any insulin in my body. Something has to run it. And mm. that was basically the insulin that I was taking. And so to even explain why my body was doing what it was doing did not make sense in any way at all. So they called me a medical mystery – 
And, and um, the doctors kind of washed their hands of me because I was a liability. They didn't want to see me die and they didn't know what to do. And so there I was trying to figure out what's going on. <laughs> I'm just, I'm blown away to be, to be quite honest. It's just insane. that, And it's insane for about, it's, it's insane how long that went on for. So you had been through these surgeries. Nobody could tell you what was wrong. You were essentially clinging on to life every single day, even when you went to bed. When was there somebody who had that light bulb, had that idea or a suggestion of how this can be cured? So it was my mission in life to, I made every doctor's appointment you could possibly think of. I met with shaman. I met with, you know, the, the holistic healing. I met like anyone that I could think of that could possibly help me or shock my system back to go to normal. I, I, I tried it. I made appointments with every specialist you could think of. And, uh, it takes a while here in the United States to get appointments with doctors and stuff like that. And and it all costs money. (laughs) And, and I went to a new endocrinologist, a diabetic specialist. She had all my records because I would always send them over before I went. And I was sitting in the room and she walked in and she just said, Brandon, you're going to die. You have less than two years to live. Your body can't keep shutting down and restarting like it's supposed to. You're not meant to do that. There is nothing that you can do about this. This happens to very few diabetics because you you are considered a brittle, hypoglycemic, unaware diabetic. We don't have treatment for it. We've tried everything. It doesn't work. So the only option is a pancreas-only transplant. They can be successful. They might not be successful. It's not covered by any healthcare coverage. And you're going to have to beg, borrow, and steal money to get this done. But your next low blood sugar will probably be your last. And you have less than two years to live. And you need this transplant. And that was the, that was the bulb that went off in my head saying, I have an answer. Now I know what I have to focus my efforts on doing. So basically in the same conversation, you were told that A, the next low blood sugar you have could be your last. B, you have less than two years to live. C, we could do the whole alphabet here. (laughs) C, there's no cure. D, it's not covered by insurance. Correct. What was going through your head at this time, Brandon? To me, I was like, what What even is a pancreas transplant? <laughs> like, how does that even work? Why, you know, why would it, why would it save, like, why would that change what I'm going through? And the explanation was just that it, because nothing is working currently, the, the, uh, the pancreas transplant would, would re, be able to reset and control the body, which um, insulin and food couldn't. Uh, that I like in the situation that I was in, I, my body just would not accept insulin the way it was supposed to. It would process it immediately, 
food wouldn't be able to be digest because it didn't have the energy to. So it couldn't make the energy for my body to function. And so I was, my body was literally dying from the inside out. And that's why it just, it, it, it was getting worse and progressively worse and worse. And so my thing was, okay, well, where do I go to get a transplant and how do I find out how much it costs and what is going to end up happening? Because I wasn't healthy. I wasn't a specimen of health <laughs> dealing with, with everything that was going on. My, my body was degrading. I had lost a kidney, which, are, which already is a problem. And I don't have control over my blood sugars. I'm no longer a well-controlled diabetic. Diabetes had control over me. And so I was referred to one transplant hospital. They immediately denied me. They said, you don't have the funds to cover it and you have one kidney. You're a liability. I was referred to another transplant hospital. They told me the exact same thing. And then I went and saw my nephrologist, my kidney doctor. And he saved my life because he says, that is the greatest idea I've ever heard. Give me one second. He got on his cell phone while I was in the room with him. And he called his friend that he went to medical school with, who happened to be a transplant surgeon at a local hospital, one of the best in the United States. It's called Mayo Clinic. And got on the phone with him and said, hey, I have a patient that needs a pancreas-only pan pancreas transplant. When can you get him seen? And the surgeon was like, I'm not in charge of that, but this is the person you contact. And he, that um, nephrologist got me into Mayo Clinic. He called them. He t explained to them everything that was going on with me and how important it was to him that they would take care of me. And they started talking to me and I went through the whole process with them and I found out how much everything would be. And they just said, you would be a really great candidate for this surgery. It's extremely rare, but you're young enough that if, if it's successful, you will be able to live a successful life. So we think that you would be a good candidate, but you have to come up with the funds to cover it. And so that was like the biggest changing thing that had happened to me ever since dealing with these low blood sugars. I was, give, I was given like, a, like a, a, a sense of hope, you know, a light went off in my head and I was like an answer, a, a solvent. It wasn't, it, wasn't some, it wasn't some bullshit answer of, oh, eat more graham crackers before bed with peanut butter. You know what I mean? Like this was, this was a legitimate answer to a problem that I was having. And all I needed was $250,000 and to be able to pass all, all of the preliminary tests to uh, get me on a transplant list. Wow. There's a, there's a lot in there, Brandon. <laughs> I have to say there is a lot in there. So you were given this, I suppose, a spark of hope. It's, you were finally told what was wrong with you. Well, how you could be treated, how this could be fixed, how you could survive everything. And then you now have to raise $250,000. So it's almost like you get over one brick wall and then you're standing right in front of the other. Right. Yep. So, so what did you need to do to raise $250,000? Because you were obviously given this two-year timeline of your life. 
essentially. Obviously, you don't want to risk taking those two years. You want to get the surgery done ASAP. What was your next step? So uh, I didn't know what to do. <laughs> um, I knew that you know there was the answer, but I, I wasn't working. I couldn't. You know, that was impossible. I don't come from money. Um, by this time, it had been almost a year after, you know, seeing doctors and trying to get in the transplant hospitals already. And then um, what what kept coming to mind was the was the opinion of that doctor who told me that I needed the transplant of beg, borrow and steal. And I and I was just like, how do I even like, how do I even do that? <laughs> because I'm a very like you know like like I think it's very important to know me sharing this with you is something that I would have never done ever in my life. I was self-sufficient, I was private. You would have never known I was a diabetic had I not told you. I always took care of myself. Like I didn't have to rely on anybody. And now here I am in my life where nobody really knows what I'm going through. Uh, I, I'm reliant upon my diabetic alert dog and I, I, I had to move in with a roommate to check on me to make sure that I was okay. And I was living this bleak life. And the roommate that I, that I was living with basically said, we have to put you, we have to put your story online. The only way you're going to come up with money because you can't get loans you know, I don't have any assets. Like, who am I going to ask to help me raise money? And and the only way to do that was to do it through social media with GoFundMe. And I was like, nope, absolutely not. I, I don't want pity. I don't want people to know what I'm going through. This is really embarrassing because I don't even know what's going on. And it I it's just, it's so personal, that aspect of it to have to put online for other people to know. So I, I, I talked about it with my parents and, and they were like, you just do it. It was kind of one of those things where, what do I have to lose? Because at this point I had nothing, I had, I had nothing left to lose, but everything to gain. And so, uh, my roommate who was helping take care of me and watch me put it online Nothing really happened with it. Um, I wrote an extremely descriptive, wonderful legal legal letter <laughs> explaining exactly what the whole point was and and what the options were and what was going on and um, like the people who you would think would would jump on it and be like, "Yes, how can I help you? What can I do?" didn't really come out of of the woodwork or anything like that and i was like okay i'm gonna have to just keep doing what i'm doing until something turns out and all of a sudden i got a twenty thousand dollar anonymous donation and that put in motion the ability for me to raise the two hundred and fifty thousand dollars in three months don't ask me how, don't ask me why, <laughs> but enough people shared it. And I, I've, I've never seen so many kind messages of people saying they're, you know, they're thinking of me, they're praying for me. They had no idea. 
um, and, and had they have known, things would have been so much different. And that aspect of me having to be vulnerable is what saved my life to be able to come up with that money. Because I, I, I am hard-headed when it comes to that kind of stuff. And that was one of the most life-changing things that I had ever done. Because my assumption of people is that they don't give a crap. Why would they care about me? They're living their own lives. They have their own problems. Why would they care about me? Or even, even give me money in the first place for something that's not guaranteed. But they proved me wrong. And it completely changed everything about the way that I think and the way that I conduct myself. And it, 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 it was the neatest thing that had ever happened to me. It was transforming. Yeah, no doubt that is certainly going to change your perspective around people and their own money in a way, because that is serious generosity to to raise $250,000 in three months. And I suppose there was probably a time when you were thinking, I've been through this whole thing. I've, I've lived like this for three years. And when I know how close the finish line is, potentially I might not reach it because of a financial issue. The, the financial issue or a low blood sugar. Like, you know what I mean? Like there were so many things that were possibilities of it just not working out and me being so close to that thing that, that, that could be the cure to my problem. And I was still having, you know, the low blood sugars were getting worse and worse. Um, I, 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 all, all we could do was update people of what was going on with my life as, as I was able to raise money. And it was one of those things where <laughs> I am just grasping onto life with the hope of a, of, a, of a future where I can keep living life and enjoying life and doing what I can. And the uncertainty kind of kills you because you don't know what's going on. The anxiety gets to a point where your brain just can't even process it anymore. It's just like... Pfft. But let's just like bye. I, I I don't have time for you. Just leave me alone. Goodbye. I you know you're not even worth my thought. I need to drink juice. And so, like you know, all those things are going on, and it's just it's that moment of just being able to be okay with uncertainty, knowing that it just might work out, and that little might of hope is is kind of is what got me through that because really i mean let's be honest it was a pretty hopeless situation because you were so strapped for time and as you say the blood sugars the low blood sugars were getting worse and more severe and you were still clinching on was there a sense that despite the fact that i have raised two hundred fifty thousand dollars in three months it's not as if it's just a straightforward transaction of here's $250,000, here is your new pancreas, you are alive and well. Was there a chance that you're, you have the money now, but I can still run out of time? Because I can't imagine that there is an abundance of pancreases out there that we can, we can use to transplant. Well, yeah, well, and, that, and that's exactly right. So 
even if I, even if I had come up with the money, then I have to, then I have to be processed and put on the transplant list, which it, it can be. So here's how they explain like the transplant list. You know, there's, there's a wait list for organs. It doesn't just mean because you have the money, ta-da, you get one, you get put on a wait list. And the wait list is, they, they say three months to five years. So even if I got to that point and I, and I was able to give them the money, could I last up to five more years in this state? Like, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? Like that's yeah, going through my head. And, and so I'm, and, but I'm determined. I am determined that I don't care. I'm going to do it. If it doesn't work out, at least I know I did my absolute best efforts and I, and I gave it my all because there, if, if I had already, if I was already supposed to be dead, I had already been dead twice. I am alive for a reason. I'm at least going to give it a fight. And that's just kind of, that was my mentality. I love that. I love that. You're not going to go down without a fight. And you've, you've certainly been putting up a big one up to this point. When were you told that, okay, Brandon, here we go. Your pancreas is ready. Surgery is ready to go. So it was, I, I got the money. Everything was good. The, um, the hospital did a really good job with setting everything up for me. And uh, every month on the transplant list, you have to go and you have to, you have to give blood samples because if they find a potential match, they see if it will work and it's based on your blood type and, and all of that kind of stuff. And it was, I got the call the day after Christmas in 2018. So it was the, it was December 26th. I got the call. It was in the evening and it, it, the lady basically said, Hey, are you ready for a new pancreas? (laughs) And I was like, is this a joke? Happy Christmas. (laughs) Yeah. Happy Christmas. Like it it was just, it was the strangest, it was the strangest thing. It was shocking because I was expecting to have to wait quite a while, not two months. And, uh, sure as shit. It, it was, she said, no, everything is good to go. It is the closest match that we can. It's not a guarantee that we're going to do the transplant tonight because when the organ arrives, there might be something wrong with that. Um, but come into the hospital right now because we're going to prepare you for surgery. Um, I do think it is important to po- to point out that it it my pancreas came from somebody who passed away. And, you know, I am alive today because someone died. And it, it's, it's pretty powerful when you think about that because how amazing that you as somebody who, if, 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 you, if you pass away or, and if you die, you can give the gift of life to people. And um, that, was, that was the one thing that I, that I got from that phone call because she said it's a brain dead um, donor. That is an exact match, and it and that and that really like hit me um, to like where this pancreas was coming from. And so that was pretty powerful. Yeah, well, I'm sure that whoever that was, if somehow they know that you're still alive and kicking, and you're 
spreading such a positive word about everything they would uh, they would definitely be proud so of course it's massively powerful when you really break it down and think about it like that were yeah. you thinking going into that operation room were you thinking this is my last hope this is this is it this has to go well yep that's exactly what i was thinking so within 20 minutes of me walking into the hospital So they told me to come in through the emergency room or the emergency department and give them my name (laughs) and they'd be waiting for me. So I went in there and I gave them my name and they were like, who? (laughs) I was like, Brandon Mao. And I I could see my name written on a big piece of paper right there on the desk. I'm like, right there, that's me. And they said, oh. And and then all of a sudden it was like everyone like jumped up because they knew what I was there for, for. Because there's a timeline on how on, on on how quick they have to put the organ in you, and so um, they called back. All of a sudden, these doors just like flew open, <laughs> and the lady was like, "Brandon, come on, start running!" And I was like, "Running!" And <laughs> and I'm and I'm and I'm catching up, and she's like, "Okay, start getting undressed and put this on." I'm in the hallways and I'm getting undressed and um, uh, they're then I'm in the room and they're taking blood and and I have all the surgeons coming in and we're we're doing everything. And uh, within 20 minutes, they had everything ready to go and they were wheeling me back into surgery. And I knew without a doubt that this was going to be if, 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 because I, they gave me the, the green light, the surgeon told me, we're putting this in you. And I said, okay. I, I said, this is, this is my last hope. And she, and she, she really, and she was like, we, we, I know. Um, she understood the gravity of what we were doing, which is why she said, I've seen other ones that I, and I made sure that you, like, I made sure this is the one that you're going to get. Um, it was one of those like reassurance things that I really needed at that time. And as I was being put out by the anesthesiologist, it was like, he said, this is going to be a Christmas that you're going to remember for the rest of your life. And I, and when I woke up, which I was very shocked at because I thought, you know, this might be the last time I'm going out. Uh, who, who knows what's going to happen? And when I woke up, the nurse, I, I asked the nurse, I, I just, I was, I was alone in this room with, with the nurse making sure I wasn't having internal bleeding. And I said, was this, was it a success? And she said, yes, it was a successful transplant and your blood sugar is 89. And that was the first time I had a normal blood sugar in over three years. Unreal. New life starting. New life. That was that was that was my second chance at life. I am living on extended time, <laughs> on bonus, you know, on bonus points time, and it, I mean, it was just like so many emotions. So you know, just like so much. It, it, it just I don't know. I don't you know if if that's not a miracle, I don't know what is. And um, it's it saved my life again i'm i'm almost just speechless listening to this brandon it's just insane i i sometimes i'm just listening to you and i forget that i actually have to continue this podcast i'd love to just listen to you tell your story because it's uh it's it's 
I'm as I said, I'm lost for words. It's just unbelievable. Yeah, well, I mean, <laughs> as, as you can tell, and that yeah. that rarely happens with me. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's a lot of information to right to take in and that kind of stuff. But I've learned that when you like when I tell my when I tell this part of my story, it's not like it's it's very hard when you break it up because it's it's one of those it's one of those things that kind of like flow right with and it really is so shocking because it's like it's unbelievable like how did somebody like how did that even work you know what i mean like i currently have two pancreas pancreas pancreases like i don't even know what the right word is <laughs> i have one kidney and two pancreas and it, so it's like one of those things where like like what like what on earth and um they attach the new pancreas to your lower intestine. So it, it's like uh, kind of next to your bladder, if you think about that. And it's attached to the arteries in your legs. Um, so you don't get like the digestive enzymes and stuff like that. But you, but it, it but produces the enzymes for your body to heal. It produces the, produces the insulin that is needed for, for your body to break down food. And it, it was so amazing to feel good again uh, after that, after going through so long of just agony, it was pretty amazing to like just get that mental clarity back. It was like having a three-year low blood sugar where nothing makes sense whatsoever, all the signs and symptoms where it's nothing but confusion and doubt and you, you just – you don't know what's going on. And then all of a sudden, just you wake up and bam, snap, back to normal. That that was pretty amazing to have gone through. Yeah, I can even sense the uh, the relief in your voice, even just talking about it. I have to ask you, Brandon, do you still consider yourself a type 1 diabetic after a successful surgery like that? No, I am no longer insulin dependent. I've been a diabetic for 31 years and I've switched out diabetes. I basically have paused my diabetes with a transplant. And if my transplant fails, I go exactly back to the spot that I was. So it's not a cure, um, but I am no longer an insulin dependent diabetic because of the transplant. I'm guessing that such a, a big surgery you don't i suppose with with something that big it's not like you're going to recover overnight so i'm sure the road to recovery is a long one and you're still going through it how does an average day for you now differ post-surgery compared to pre-surgery so I, I i'll just compare it to like when i wasn't sick with such bad low blood sugars. So it's basically the same. The only difference is I'm not testing my blood and counting carbohydrates. What I like, I basically switched out counting carbs and, and taking insulin injections and testing my blood with anti-rejection medication, anti- antivirals, antifungals, antibacterials. I'm suppressing my immune system. So uh, my body doesn't fight my organ. I have had organ um, rejection four times. Last weekend, I was in the hospital getting treated for it. And so it's not like I'm living this 
perfect life of a normal person, I still have 31 years of diabetes wear and tear on my body. And my immune system is trying to fight this organ because it's looking at it as a foreign substance. Um, And I replaced it with medications that are far more harsh on the body than than being a well-controlled diabetic. So even with that, though, I am able to do almost anything that I want. I exercise, I go and I can travel, I can, I can, I can enjoy life. It's just a lot more doctory. I, you know, I, I work, <laughs> um, I get to, I get to share my journey and help raise awareness about just d- d- donating, uh, organs and for diabetes and the hypoglycemia unawareness and, it's pretty amazing because I was able to get the reason why I got on social media was because everyone that had helped me raise that money wanted to follow my journey post transplant. So I started Instagram and that's kind of how I share my recovery journey with that. But other than that, I'm just living a normal life. Like I was before I got sick. I'm, I'm, I'm back to normal, but there's all those other considerations on top of that, which is why I, when they say it's, it's, it's a potential cure, I, it's not a cure. It, it's really, it's just a pause in something that you were going through. You strike me as, so, despite everything that you've gone through and continue to go through, you strike me as somebody who's very positive around the whole situation. Have you always had that sort of mindset or did that develop over time? Was that something you needed to work on yourself or was it almost just instinctive to you? <laughs> um, I, the, the positive mindset aspect of things was never something that ever came up in my life because I had control. I was able to get things done that I wanted to. I've always been happy, um, but I wouldn't say like this positive mindset of, hey, you know, like truly anything is possible that kind of thing I always thought about, but it was for me. It wasn't like something that I outwardly expressed towards other people or, and encouraged others to do or, or anything like that. It was always internalized. But going through this experience, which, and I think that, you know, just being a diabetic in general, the, the whole experience changes your way of thought about everything. It, it put me in a place where I, where, there was no one else like me. I couldn't find another person that received a pancreas-only transplant because of brittle hypoglycemia diabetes anywhere. Through all of Google, all of my research, all my talking to the doctors, there is none of it out there. And so I kind of, it kind of gave me this new purpose in life to show that you can accomplish other like you can accomplish the you can literally accomplish the impossible or what seems impossible at the time and make it possible if you're willing to put in the work and the effort and understand what you're going through and it doesn't matter if it's big or small whatever it is like what i went through is probably the biggest thing that i will ever go through in my entire life it is the craziest thing that i've ever gone through but that doesn't mean that every day is great um, there are days I feel like crap. 
there are there there are days where the medication side effects are so bad that uh, like my hair is falling out. I I get really bad uh, muscle tremors and shakes, and my kidney function is not doing very well. And then I have to address that. And it's not like oh woe was me. I'm like nope. Get on top of this. Get back going. At it, and I think that the appreciation for life and the positive attitude really came from just coming from a place of such darkness and anxiety and sadness, and knowing that I couldn't control anything to a point where I can take control over certain aspects of my life now and be okay with that. And so that was something that formed over time. It wasn't like I just had this attitude. <laughs> um, but I am very fortunate and uh, fortunate that I have it because I am a much happier person because of it. Yeah, you seem obviously very grateful for this, this second chance of life. What are you, Brandon, just before, I think this will be my second last question because, well, I, I could listen to you all day to be, to be quite honest. But with this new, your, I suppose, your second life, what are you most excited for in the future? What do you have planned? What's on your agenda? What do you hope to be? What do you hope to become? My, my goal in life now is to just be happy. So right now, that is enjoying the smaller things, um, uh, doing work that I enjoy as opposed to doing work that pays me the most. Cause what, looking at money, that's what I wanted. That's when I was younger. That's what I was going after. I was, you know, I was climbing the ladder. I was going to go and do all these things. And now I don't care. That doesn't matter to me. I do what I need to make the money to survive. I, and whatever makes me happy. And if that's going on a bike ride, if that's going on a hike, if, that, if that's going to the beach um, to go surfing, w whatever it is, that's, that those little simple things are what make me happy. Now, down the, down the road, in the long run, I hope to remain healthy and happy. But there are other things that I want to succeed. I, you know, um, when you get really sick, you lose friends, you lose relationships, you lose a lot of those connections and opportunities. And I would hope that I can make more of them as things kind of settle down. And, uh, and we never know what the future holds. So I kind of look at the future as there's something long term. And in the meantime, there are little goals that I am achieving to reach that long term. But whatever twists and turns or things that happen along the way, it's okay. I, I deal with them and um, keep moving forward and not letting it drag me down. And so that's kind of like just where I'm at. I don't know what it's going to look like, but it's going to be good because I'll be, I'll be happy doing it along the way. Love that. Well, Brandon, I wish you all the health and all the happiness in the world because that was one of the most unbelievable stories I've ever heard, to be, to be honest with you. And you deserve all the health and happiness that you can get. So thank you so much for being on the podcast again. Really, really appreciate your time. That story is going to hit home with a lot of people. A lot of people are going to get massive value from that. Your, your mindset, your optimism, the fact that you just didn't give up hope. 
you raised $250,000 in three months and you are here today because of what you did, because of the fact that you didn't give up. So thank you for sharing that. Really appreciate it. Where can people find you online? Where can they reach out? Where can they learn more about you? Well, I, I appreciate you very much. Thank you for everything that you do and for letting me share my story because, you know, not all diabetic stories <laughs> are the same. Um, and even when you do everything right, it doesn't always mean everything's going to turn out right. Um, find, find me online. My name is Brandon Mao. I'm on Instagram. I, I, my whole point in life is just to encourage other people and let them know that Life sucks, but you know what? You could make something really good out of it. And that's kind of my whole point. So Brandon Mal, BrandonMal.com, Brandon Mal Official. Um, message me. I answer uh, all messages. And I, and I really appreciate the opportunity to be on your show, Owen. It's been nothing but an absolute pleasure. Absolutely. You're a gent. I appreciate your time. Thanks so much. And I love that. And I'm going to, I'm going to, stick that quote somewhere life sucks but make something good out of it it's like i don't know if you've read the book man's search for meaning but victor frankl says find meaning in your suffering whatever it may be so thank you brandon really really appreciate it and i will chat to you soon sounds good thank you my oh my (laughs) what did i tell you what an unreal story Hope you enjoyed that. I definitely know that you enjoyed it because I was, (laughs) as I said prior to the episode, I was just listening to it in amazement. It's unbelievable. And Brandon is an unbelievable person. And I was delighted that he was on the podcast to share his story. It's massively, massively inspiring and just proves that, look, we all go through shit (laughs) regardless of, Who we are, what we do, where we live, where we come from, there's always going to be shit that we have to deal with. And that is a fact. And (laughs) you just have to get on with things. And easier said than done at times, of course. But look, Brandon has dealt with it all and he came out the other side stronger mentally, no doubt. And he's proving that you you can get through anything. So massive, massive thank you again to Brandon. And if you want to find him online... Definitely look him up. He is a, a great person to follow, specifically on social media. And just to find out more about him, you can search him at Brandon Mao Official. So Brandon B R A N D O N Mao is spelled M O U W and official. I hope you can spell official, but if you can't, it's O F F I C I A L. So Brandon Mao Official. Thank you again, Brandon. And thank you for listening at home. I hope you are enjoying the podcast so far. I hope you have caught up with all the episodes prior to this one because there's some amazing guests on there that you definitely, definitely don't want to miss out. If you do enjoy the podcast, I apologize for shouting. (laughs) It's a great help to myself. It's a great help to Graham and a great help to any diabetic out there. If you share the podcast, tell a friend, rate us, give us five stars. I know you're generous. Share it on social media. Do all that good stuff. Really appreciate you listening. And most of all, I really, really hope that you are getting something from this podcast. Because I know I've said it before, but the whole point of this 
is to share my personal experience, get other people out there on the podcast to share their experience, to redefine what diabetes is, redefine what you think it might be, redefine what society thinks diabetes is, and show you and outline to you and highlight that this is something that can be used as an advantage rather than something that should hold you back. So again, thank you for listening. Hope you enjoy it. Have a fantastic week. I'll chat to you soon. Take it easy. I love you. Goodbye. <laughs>